So we continue on today in our, our look at uh, Malachi. We find ourselves, again, the same text as we were looking at last week in Malachi 3, verses uh, 6 through verse 12. And uh, as I've already indicated, this Sunday we'll be looking at this text and looking at it primarily from what it, uh, in regard to what it says to us about tithing and giving offerings. So if you would, if you haven't already done so, Please turn to the scripture, allow me to read it to you, and then after I read, we'll take a moment of prayer. Malachi writes these words. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe in the storehouse, that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight says the Lord of hosts. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. If you would, please pray with me. Father, as always, when we come to your word, we ask that you would be our teacher. We ask, Lord, that you would guide us through it word by word, that you would direct us to what you would have us know. And we pray, Lord, as we so frequently do, that having encountered your word, we will not leave this place unchanged. Lord, you are the unchangeable God. And we marvel at that and we depend on that. But we ask, Lord, that you would change us, make us more obedient, make us faithful followers, even as we rest in the mercies of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray these things. Amen. So last Sunday, I I did make mention to you all of how it would be beneficial for us to look at this passage over a period of two Sundays. You see, as we saw last Sunday, there is a broad message that's undergirding all of the things that are being said here in regard to the unchangeable nature of God and, and really how beneficial it is for his people to know that unchangeable nature as we live out life striving to be obedient to this God who never changes. But that broader message is also being presented to us through a narrower case study of the obedience of God's people as it relates to their giving of tithes and offerings. So it's also important for us to read this text and ask ourselves what it is saying about giving of tithes and and giving of offerings to God and especially to ask ourselves what the implication of this teaching might be for the Christian church today. And as we seek to answer questions of that sort, 
perhaps the first matter of which we should become aware is that this matter is no insignificant topic. I've been repeatedly noting over recent weeks how this message of Malachi comes to us in a way that finds it most frequently presented as if we are reading a dialogue that's going back and forth in the form of dispute between God and the people who are at least a part of his people by their own identification. And here in this dialogue, after first being reminded of God's unchangeable nature, God announces to his people, return to me, return to me, and I will return to you. It's after that that then God announces the typical response of the people in which they say, how shall we return? And the implication in that response is one that would indicate that these people of God are really not even seeing themselves at all as a people who are wandering away. And so God replies back to their self-perception, will man rob God, yet you are robbing me. The people have wandered away and wandered away in regard to some conduct that God sees as if it is the equivalent of them robbing him. And the rest of the dialogue then finds God defining what this robbery is all about. He announces that the robbery involves the tithes and the offerings they are giving or maybe not giving. And God calls this short shrifting of the offering plate robbing him, robbing God of what is his. Have any of you ever been robbed? I have a little more experience with being robbed than I would ever want any one of you to have. When I was a teenager, I came home from a family trip to find our home emptied out. Some of my own personal childhood collections had been taken. The robber never was identified, never found, never convicted. And then later on in life, when Janet and I were living in Florida before moving here, a teenager who lived not far from us discovered that our home was normally vacant during working and school hours. He broke in and robbed us, not once, but twice. And then he was caught when trying to do it for a third time. One more experience, though not directly involving my own life. Just a few months ago, our daughter and her husband were robbed in stealth by someone who entered their hotel room and took their belongings while they slept unaware. If you've never experienced anything like that, know that I wouldn't wish it on any of you. The experience is one that is chilling beyond the loss of the property. There's a feeling of being violated, violated when someone robs you of anything that's truly yours. And God is saying to the people of the church of Malachi's era, you are robbing me. You are taking what is mine. And perhaps there is even a sense that you could say this is a great violation of the preeminence of God. That is the sense of what is happening when the Israelites of Malachi's time were withholding their tithes and their offerings. So the first thing I, I hope that we see from this text is that this withholding of the tithe and offering at this time that Malachi wrote was something that should never have been seen as a trivial thing at all. It was a great offense to God. 
and yet it seems to have become a common practice among them. When God speaks through Malachi in verse 9, it is made most apparent that the violation is a commonplace one. Most apparent in part because when God repeats again, for you are robbing from me, the words themselves are suggesting that this practice of robbery is ongoing in nature. And the commonality of that practice is also apparent in part because of the use of the phrase, the whole nation. Saying the whole nation tends to indicate that this is something that is happening among most everyone among the people of God. And know this as well. When we read whole nation in that ninth verse, the word for nation chosen by God is suggesting nation in an ungodly sense of the word. The word chosen by God implies that people are acting as if they are pagans and not as a people of God. And the offense against God results then in these people experiencing the effects of being cursed with a curse. That redundancy there, that repetition of the way that matter is put forth, cursed with a curse, elevates the reality of the curse even more. The cursing of the people of God is being expressed in an emphatic way. In other words, whatever evils the people were experiencing in life, whatever they were, they were great, and what they were experiencing are all related to their unfaithfulness that they have shown toward God unfaithfulness as is being demonstrated in their failure to tithe and give offerings. The curse in Malachi's day seems to primarily be one of an agricultural sort. That's understood largely by reflecting more upon the blessings that God speaks about rather than the curse itself. If we read of those blessings, we see that if they returned to God, what would happen is that the windows of heaven would open and pour down a blessing. Now, while I think that expression does have a broad sense of meaning, it also, in some way, does give us a picture of, of showers falling down from heaven, rain which brings refreshment to a land that is parched by drought. And the blessing of rebuking the devourer, devourer would seem to suggest that the destruction is of devouring locusts, the deadly pest that would often come upon Israel and destroy their crops, destroy the fruits of the soil and the vines in their fields. Drought and locusts are to be understood in this context as if they are God's curse upon his people. And though it's important to read this and understand that Israel is being cursed with a curse because of the failure of bringing those appropriate gifts to God, the explanation of the curse is really given with an eye of getting Malachi's readers to better understand that there is a much better way. A great blessing from God reaped through living in greater obedience to him. We really need to think about that a little more. We need to explore the blessing. But before we do that, I think it would be wise for us first to ask ourselves whether it is true that we as a modern church, the New Testament church, are required to give tithes and offerings in the same manner as was true for the Old Testament church. And I'll tell you in advance, I want to equivocate a bit when I give an answer. I want to sort of say no before ultimately getting to a yes. And if that sounds confusing, and I assume it does, I just ask that you bear with me. 
there's a long history related to tithing and giving of offerings that is rooted in the Old Testament scriptures. Tithe is a word that means tenth, and it refers to the giving of a tenth of livestock or agricultural harvest, or maybe something taken in wealth when taken in battle, giving a tenth of such things to another. The giving of a tenth or a tithe when it's first mentioned in the Bible is in regard to Abraham. It's mentioned in Genesis 14 where Abraham shares a tenth of what was taken from invaders when he and his men went to rescue his, neighbor Lot, his nephew Lot. Rather. Upon Abraham's return, he gave a, a tenth of the spoils from the victory to Melchizedek, who was the king of Salem. But he is also identified, Melchizedek is also identified in that text as being a priest of God Most High. Abraham gives this priest a tenth of everything he's recovered. The next time one reads of a tenth being given is when Jacob is blessed by his father Isaac and sent away to find Laban, his, uh, his uncle on his mother's side, in order to wed one of Laban's daughters. When Jacob left his family to seek out Laban, his journey began with a vision from God being given to him. The vision of the ladder set upon earth and reaching to the heavens with angels ascending and descending from it. When Jacob awoke from the dream, the vision that was given to him in the dream, he described the place where he received the vision as the gate of heaven. And he set up a stone pillar there, a stone pillar for the worship of God. And once he did, he promised God that he would give to God a full tenth of all that he would have. So the giving of a tithe to God actually predates the time when the people of God received the codified law of God and were commanded in that codified law to explicitly give a tithe. Once the Israelites did receive the written law, the tithing requ requirement was included in part of what God required his people living in the Old Testament era to do from the time of Moses on. The people required by God to give a full tenth of what they produced or gained. In Leviticus 27, verse 30, the basic requirement is set forth. Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, every tenth is to be set aside as holy to the Lord. In Numbers, Numbers chapter 18, it's made clear that the tithe given was specifically given to the tribe of the Levites. They received that tithe to be their inheritance, while the other tribes received allocations of land from which they were able to farm for their own use. And the tribe of the Levites then, well, they were to see to it that the priest from out of that tribe, the priest ordained by God, were to receive a tithe of the tithe, all for their service to the Lord. Procedures as to how that tithe were to be given were also outlined more in the book of Deuteronomy, specifically in chapters 12 and 14. And from those chapters, it became clear that the tithe was to be brought into the tabernacle or the temple, and that every third year, it was also to be used to support not only the service of the Levites and the priest, but to provide support for the poor within the Israelite community. So that, in brief, was the law-required tithing practice of the Israelites in the Old Testament. 
But here in Malachi, we also find a reference to an offering beyond the tithe. And while it might be somewhat difficult to discern what that additional offering might exactly have been, because offerings were often given for various purposes among the people of God, here the required offerings does seem to be required. Also, we then sort of surmise, at least I think we surmise, that what is being specifically referred to is the Old Testament offerings that were given to the priests when they received portions of the animals that were sacrificed in the temple. In short, there are a lot of reasons when we read of this tithe and offering of the Old Testament. There are a lot of reasons that might lead us to think that the Old Testament law might not in an exact way carry over to the New Testament times. But it is still the will of God that we give out of what we have and give generously from out of what we have. Give to the work of the church for the advancement of the gospel. And when we don't, though we stand as ones forgiven, forever forgiven in Christ, we should, like those Israelites, if we neglect giving to God, think that we should be cursed as if we were modern-day pagans. That brings us to the blessing of God that happens when we live in obedience to Him. The blessing. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that, you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear fruit, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed. That is the blessing of God when one gives a rightful tithe. I say again, I don't think that this Old Testament requirement carries over to the New Testament in an exact way. But God's desire is still to give to the work of the church. The Christian is asked by God to give to the work of his church, and we saw that when we read from the New Testament, didn't we? And also, if we were to look to another part of the Corinthian letters in 1 Corinthians, we do find that there Paul cites the law of Moses, and he says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads upon the grain. He also says, who plants a vineyard without eating any fruit or who tends to a flock without getting some of the milk. And the apostle Paul makes clear in all that in that part of 1 Corinthians, that he means when he says such things, that in the same way as the Lord had commanded, those who proclaim the gospel should get their living from the gospel. So we see these things from the Apostle Paul. We see that the church is to be about giving, even if it's not giving in the exact way that happened in the Old Testament. We have to remember that Christ came to fulfill the law. We have no temple in which to bring our tithes. 
We have no Levitical priests to support with our tithes, but we do have the work of the gospel going forth and we are commanded to give and to give generously. And blessing is expected when we give in that way. And again, the image that we have here in Malachi is of bringing food into the house of God. In Malachi's time, that would have invoked images of bringing the tithes of that agricultural produce and temple and, and, and livestock, rather, into the temple of God. But we should in our day see a similar type of instruction for the giving out of the abundance God has given us, even if it's not from agricultural pr production. We give to him earnestly out of the income that we, that we have. I know you all know, I've, I've, I've prayed it already today, it's not uncommon for me to say or to pray when we receive offerings in this church of how everything that we have is first given to us by God. I often quote or at least loosely quote Psalm 50 where God says, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. God further says in that psalm, I know all the birds of the field, of the, I'm sorry, I know all the, bill, the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, he says, I would not tell you for the world and its fullness are mine. Everything in this world first belongs to God. And I often quote as well, as you've heard already today from Haggai chapter two, verse eight, the silver is mine, says God, the gold is mine, declares the Lord. Everything we ever have in this world, everything we ever have first belongs to God. And what he asks of us is that we be cheerful and generous givers. And I would go so far as to say that that has to mean that when we as modern Christians consider what we should be giving to the work of God, that I would have to suggest that a tenth off the top of all we have should be viewed more like a floor rather than a ceiling. And we should pay attention here to the blessing from God that should be expected. God does tell the people of Malachi's era, test me, test me and see if the windows of heaven don't open. Open for you and pour down blessing upon you. Pour down blessing until there is no more need. Now just think, think for a moment about how it would be if we were experiencing a curse like that agricultural sort of curse that was being experienced by the people in Malachi's day. If we were experiencing a curse and then also hearing this promise from God, but hearing it as if we're acting like a pagan people. Would we dare give in that context? If we, would we dare give if we had that pagan mindset? The times around us are troubled. You are living in an agriculturally based society, living through a time of apparent drought, being plagued by locusts as well, perhaps. That is your circumstances when you are being asked by God to give a tenth and more. This is a time of depressed harvest. Perhaps we are even lacking enough food to feed our own families, less, let alone the Levites and the poor. And God is saying into that situation, into that situation, test me. Test me by giving what I have required of you. 
this demand of God is being set forth in a time when you'd have to be saying to yourself, I don't want to give. I don't think I can give. And in that situation, God says, test me and see if I don't shower you with blessings. You know, I said last week in regard to this same passage that I felt it necessary to offer a word of caution. Caution because the blessings of God are not always of a material sort. But sometimes they are. And God really does, several times in the scriptures, suggest that material blessings can follow practices of godly obedience. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce, and then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. That's Proverbs 3, verses 9 through 11. In that passage we read from 2 Corinthians, we read those words about sowing bountifully and reaping bountifully. Blessing often follows obedience. But know, please know, that the reason why what I say in regard to such scriptures is not the detestable aberration of God's teaching like that which is often coming from the mouths of those who preach a gospel of health and wealth is because in no way, no way would I ever suggest that we can somehow manipulate God into giving to us necessarily in the form of material wealth as a blessing simply because we are striving for greater obedience to what he commands in regard to our monies. And then know well that if you give to the work of the church, that you will find, even if no additional wealth ever comes your way, even if you never get a raise or if you never get unexpected wealth of any kind, that you still will be richly blessed for the reasons that the gifts you bring into the house of God are always, always, ultimately for your good. Sometimes blessings from God comes from the most routine following of God's will. They flow out in a routine manner and an expected manner because you're following God. And what I mean by that is that we need to understand that God's will for your giving is commanded so that you will know the good that comes from whatever your giving accomplishes. No part of your giving ever adds to what God already has. Everything already belongs to God. No giving of any amount somehow finds its way to the pockets of the risen and ascended Jesus Christ. When you give to the work of the church, though, whether what you give keeps the lights on in the building or allows for Bibles to be placed in the pews, or allows for an order of worship to be printed and read, or for the gospel to advance both here and abroad. Whatever you give is always, always for the sake of the people of God. It's for your good. Part of your giving pays my salary. But in my imperfect way, what that pay does is allows me the ability to serve you as a pastor even though that service is always accompanied by my numerous imperfections. When you give a tenth or maybe even more, it provides for a preaching ministry, for a pastoral ministry. 
in the service of God for his people. And that's also the way it was in the tithing times of the Old Testament church. The Levites were provided for so that they could serve as intermediaries of a sort between the people and God. So that they could especially teach the people of God what was required for their good. So what I do today is encourage you all to give. Give abundantly as you can. Give as you decide in your own heart, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, knowing that God loves a cheerful giver. And that you will receive blessing, perhaps blessing with a greater wealth that comes to you. I don't know. But you will always be blessed, always be blessed as the people of God who already know Christ with ordinary blessings always associated with being a part of the family of God. I want to share with you one last short matter in regard to all that I've said today. I, as a pastor, have the typical pastoral aversion to proclaiming a sermon like this to people like you. In many ways, when I ask you to consider giving, it can affect what I personally receive. And that can feel quite a bit awkward. But I also have learned something myself from what Malachi has shared with us. Shared with us from the mouth of God. If you remember... Back in chapter 2, the priests were rebuked by God because there was not true instruction coming from their mouth. Because wrong was being uttered from their lips. And those priests in Malachi's day were not turning people away from iniquity because they were not acting as faithful messengers of the Lord of hosts. In part, that failure of the priest is being described again here in this part of Malachi 3 in a more narrow way. The people were cursed with a curse. They hadn't had the window of heaven opened, largely because they hadn't been instructed as to what God required of them by those appointed to teach God's word. Part of the true counsel of God's word involves teaching what God really wants us to do with the wealth he has given us. So what I say to you is Endeavor to be good stewards of what you have. Again, give neither reluctantly or out of compulsion, but give knowing, joyously knowing, that it's for your good and that God desires for you to give to the work of his church and know that he loves those who give cheerfully. And no matter what form the blessings received might take, may it be additional wealth or most ordinary um, blessings that God pours down through the ministry of the word. I ask that you all know that there are blessings that flow from God whenever we endeavor to live in obedience to him. When we live for him and for his glory, it's always, always also for our good. With that, I'd ask you to pray with me. Our Father in heaven, as we reflect upon the word that you have given us, we ask that we would understand rightly. We ask that we would be a people who are generous with our giving, joyous in our giving, that we give not with reluctance or compulsion, 
but that we give for the glory of the spread of the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to understand that blessings do always come when we are obedient to you. So, Lord, we will endeavor more and more to be obedient even as we await your blessings. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.